0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Yes, indeed. On a beautiful weekend, we're going to talk lawns and gardens as we do every Saturday here in the 8 o'clock hour. Denny here along with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota helping you out today. Hi, Julie.
2: Hey Danny, how are you today? I'm doing quite
1: well. Thank you very lovely much. Lovely spring day, oh, I almost love it. Yes. Tomorrow. When I, when I hear that uh, te- <laughs> I hear that the uh, digit 6 in front of a 0, I thought, "Yes." <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I think there may be grilling in my future. I just had that uh, that sense.
2: Unbelievable. Uh, but
1: uh, how's uh, how have you been for the last couple of weeks or so?
2: I've been I've been just fine. I've been watching Good. the weather and I've been uh planning for some seeds starting, which I'm going to do this week, and i uh, been really enjoying my house plants. I've got, it's like a bloom fest here in my house with uh, amaryllis all opening up and uh, the clivia opening and uh, orchids. Yeah, you should come over. It's kind of a tropical paradise in here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can, uh, I can help you around the house, you know.
2: <laughs> Could do, I some do transplanting. As, as
1: the line goes, I do windows. So. <laughs> Uh, Carl already did those. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Um, Thank you, Carl. Uh, Let's invite our listeners to join in. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, and and if you are a regular listener to the show, you know how busy uh, we tend to get here. So don't wait. Call or text. Just one number to remember for either a phone call or a text. And that number is 651-461-9226. I'll give you that again. 651-461-9226. You can bookmark that and uh, make it a favorite, and uh, let's hear from you. Either call you or go. text Julie this morning. I uh, had one real early this morning, Julie, as a matter of fact, and it's kind of relates to what you just were talking about. Uh, Is it too early, Texter says, to start my broccoli and cauliflower and tomato seeds in the house? Thank you, you so can... much. I love the program. We appreciate it. <laughs> That's
2: that. awesome. Cool. Well, gardeners get up really early in the morning. They do. in the winter, I think. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um
2: it is a good time to start those seeds, all three of them. And, uh, and we have, I just wanted to point out for listeners too, if we don't get to all their questions about specific vegetables, we have a really great part of our vegetables webpage on extension.umn.edu. And it is called vegetables A to Z. And so you can go on that, uh, site and you can look up on, we have, we have just a ton of information, uh, about vegetables A to Z. So you can look at asparagus and broccoli and tomatoes and herbs like uh, basil and that will give you information on varieties and soil testing and how to start those seeds and when to start them and then how to harvest and how to preserve them too. So um that's a, that's a great site. If we don't get to their questions, uh, everybody's questions today or in the future, you can certainly look on that website.
1: That's good. I'm glad you brought that up. Good point. And from time to time, of course, we'll mention that uh, University of Minnesota website. You really should check it out. Uh, and uh, let's see. Oh, we'll talk about the Arboretum a little bit later on this morning, that too. That sounds good. All right. And uh, given the uh, snow is melting and uh, I can see my lawn. I think it'll be need a little work here, but, but don't, uh, again, you guys recommend, don't walk on it yet, right?
2: That's right, yeah. Our lawns are still pretty spongy and squishy, and we want to avoid compacting the soil down. So uh, walking on it, driving on it, rolling things on it, kind of stay off of it until your lawn is really dry. You'll know when it's dry, when it's, you know, we get some of these warmer days, and we've got this intense sun right now as the sun is Changing its position in the sky, or we are, I guess. Um, then you'll you'll see that it's dry, and you can feel below. Just you know, wiggle your fingers into that turf, and you'll feel drier soil. And then then you can start uh, doing some things on it. But right now, boy, I'm going to hazard a guess that most people's lawns are pretty moist. And, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and you don't want to compact it down. That makes it really tough for the roots to grow well. For
1: sure. All right, let's grab a phone call, Julie. I think Lee is calling in uh, from uh, Minneapolis. Lee, you are on CCO with Julie.
2: Thank you. Uh, uh, Julie, for Christmas, I received a waxed amaryllis. I think she bought them at Hy-Vee. Oh, it it just grew great. Nice. Is is there, like, do you just throw it, or is there a way of trying to save it? Boy that's a great question. I had somebody who uh came up to me at a recent uh event and was holding one of these waxed amaryllis and <laughs> yeah. and, and it was starting to grow some new leaves and right. I thought, "Man, you know, I'm I'm somewhat baffled by these because uh my understanding and education has always been that these bulbs should be, you know, open to the to the sunlight and they should have air and waxing them seems to be really opposite of that. So I know what, I know. They're really been, they've been great for decor. I think what I would do if I received one of those is I would now peel the wax off of it, and I would actually treat it like a summer bulb. I would plant it in a pot, and I would put that pot outside when the temperatures are right, so, you know, after Memorial Day, and I would grow it like a house plant, and then in the fall, you can bring it in and in, indoors and put it in someplace dark and cool and let it just go dormant, and
0: mm-hmm. bring it
2: out around um, around Christmas time or so, and it should start putting out some leaves and hopefully some buds for you at that point. But I think you got. I think you should take that wax off now and then treat it like you would a normal amaryllis bulb.
1: All right, very good. Thank you for the call. Uh, let's uh, grab a texture before we take a quick, uh, quick break. Uh, Annette uh, sent this text. During the drought, the grass in our front lawn died. Weeds completely took over. Quick, uh, quick break. Uh, Annette uh, sent this text. During the drought, the grass in our front lawn died. Weeds completely took over. How do we get rid of the weeds and plant a bee-friendly lawn? It's about 600 square feet.
2: Oh, good good question. I'm glad you brought up the bee lawn. So, uh, well, for people who don't know, bee lawns are a mixture of mostly fine fescue, uh, a little bit of Kentucky bluegrass, and then uh, just a small percentage, 7 to 10% of some low-growing, mowable, perennial flowers. Flowers like Dutch clover, self-heal, ground plum, and creeping thyme. And these all have benefits for bees and they they bloom at different times of the growing season. Some bloom really early like the ground plum in April and some bloom bloom later into the fall like the Dutch clover. So we like these plants because they provide nectar and pollen rewards to bees and they convert what was otherwise a, a bee sterile area, a traditional lawn, into something that's beneficial for our pollinators. So what do you do? If your lawn, it sounds like the lawn is pretty much over half weeds. And if it is, at that point you want to actually renovate that lawn. You want to kill off whatever you have there and start with a clean slate. And you could do that in the spring. In the spring it's a little more touchy because you got to keep an eye out for other weeds. So as they come up, because in the spring our weed seeds will start to germinate. So you want to kill off that lawn and then broadcast or cover it with this, you know, put down the uh, bee lawn mix which you can purchase from uh, some of our seed suppliers and garden centers put that down keep that seed moist and uh, and then uh, you know grow it keep keep watering it so that that seed will germinate we have a great web page on bee lawns and uh, and that information is under our lawn page and it will give you more details on how to do that but yeah congratulations I mean good good thinking about Converting that now weedy lawn into a bee lawn.
1: Yeah, I think a lot more people are thinking along those lines, aren't they? It seems at least according to the calls and texts we get.
2: That's that's what I'm hearing too, and I think that uh, it's encouraging to our seed suppliers. They're starting to you know create these mixes and make them available for Minnesota gardeners. And bee lawns are really. You have to have a different perspective on a lawn with a bee lawn because it does look different. It looks coarser. You don't have that green carpet. But truly, at about 80% of that seed is fine fescue, which is a really good type of grass seed for Minnesota lawns. It's, it's drought tolerant. It doesn't require lots of nutrients. Um, it can grow in sun and part shade. It's a really good grass seed. And then you have some of that Kentucky blue in there just for um, kind of to help you know, move it along, too, and to give it that long look. But yeah. the flowers are beautiful, and they mow well.
1: All right. Let's take a quick break, Julie. Uh, invite our listeners to join in. I want to re- remind Al uh, in St. Paul, you're going to be first up here on the uh, phone when we come back. 651-461-9226. Our Smart Garden Show is around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour here on News Talk 830-WCCO. 27 degrees going for 53. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here. Also, Julie Wiesenhorn from the University yeah, of Minnesota. Morning. She's the one answering Woo-hoo. your questions uh, today, your lawn and garden questions. So bring them on to 651 uh, 461 You want to call it in, that's great. We have callers. We have texters. Uh, same number, 651 right, Julie, we promised Al in St. Paul he would be first up here. Yes. Al, you are on with Julie. I really like your program. Thank um, you. This is a different this is a different question. Uh, do you know what what are, what's causing so many box elder bugs? Oh. <laughs> and there's not any
2: box elders in the area. Well, that's that. I do not know, Al. I'm not sure why. You know, the only thing I can think of is that. Um, I, I mean, box elder, the box elder tree is a maple tree. It's the native maple in Minnesota. It's it's kind of a weedy tree. People, you know, are pulling them up. They don't like them. Um, Seeds a lot. And insects go through life cycles and populations change. So uh, we see fluctuations in the numbers of insects, and it's based on weather, and it's based on um, uh, predators. You know, if a predator population goes up, and I'm not sure what even preys on box elders, but if predator population goes up, then the... Prey's population goes down, but weather has a lot to do with it. And sometimes, uh, the weather's is perfect for one species of insect and it's harder on others. So I'm, I'm guessing that this is a, one of these, you know, top of the bell curve in the population of box elders. Fortunately, they, uh, don't bite They're Um, uh, they don't, they don't smell great, but they don't stink like a stink bug, um, and, uh, and so fortunately, you know, they're just kind of a, there's a real nuisance. And I know people have, you know, thousands of them that hang out on their siding and that show up in their houses. My cousin, Steve has them in his house out at his farm and is always kind of, uh, cussing them up. So I think that, um, I think that's, it. I think it's just a population level. I, but I will check into that. I will actually contact our entomology department and, and ask them if they know, you know, why that would be the case. Um, But good question. Excellent question.
1: Julie, we've been getting uh, those from time to time about uh, that, of course, and we always talk about Japanese beetles too, which I think there's another couple of questions coming up. But uh, this texture, and then we'll get back to the phones. Is it too late to cut down geraniums that are blooming in the house? How tall is too tall for outside?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like to, uh, if you cut them down, then they'll actually, where you make that cut, it will actually create a... um, uh, it'll prompt the plant to put out side shoots, and it'll make a more compact, uh, beefier kind of plant, a, a more lush, dense plant. So it's a good thing to do, especially if they've gotten kind of lanky in the house, and they're more manageable that way too. If you're if you're going to get them outside, um, you know you want them to look really good when you get them out there. And so I would take them down probably a third a third of the height, and you have, you can take that opportunity, too, to kind of clean them up. Be sure that you're cleaning up the base of the soil, too. They drop a lot of dead leaves as they grow, and make sure that you can see the soil surface. There's a, a lot of potential for insects to kind of hang out in that debris, and so always clean up those uh, around the base of the plant, too. You can okay. also root those cuttings, too, if you want to have more geraniums. You can just drop them in some water. Or you can dip them in a little uh, rooting hormone and put them in some... Uh, moist uh, soilless mix.
1: Julie, before we grab a look at that forecast, let's grab another phone call. Mary is calling in from Edina this morning. Thank you for waiting. Mary, what's your question for Julie?
2: Uh, we have several large areas of vole damage, not mole, M. It's vole. vole. V- mm-hmm. And I'd like to know how to prevent them and what attracts them. Oh, man, so many critter questions. Um, so voles are like tiny little mice with short tails. They tunnel underneath longer grass, in, and uh, and they like to, because they're protected, they will chew on grass roots, as the caller mentioned, as Mary mentioned. They also will uh, eat the bark on thin bark trees, like young saplings, or uh, particularly things like prunus and apples. And they're real pest in that respect. Kind of like the question about the box elders, why are there so many? Um, it, it can have to do with the loss of predators. So predators are things like hawks, other raptors, um, other animals that eat, eat little critters that are carnivorous. And, and so if you, have, if you lack predators, you're going to have more of the prey um, and you're going to have a higher population. Mole, voles, voles with a V, like long grass. So in the fall, when you go to mow your grass the last time before we get snow, mow it quite short, and that will eliminate longer grass uh, in your lawns. And, and it will get, it'll eliminate that protective cover that they have in the winter. Um, and that's really it. They're very skittish animals, and they like to, uh, they like to be safe. So if you have brush piles around, If your grass is, uh, if you've got longer weedy areas, clean those up. Um, Now you have a lawn that's got damage, so you're going to remove that damaged area and uh, buy some seed that is appropriate for your site. If it's full sun or part sun, you could put in a bee lawn like we mentioned earlier and start seeding that in the spring as soon as you can work that soil. So put that seed down. Uh, The soil needs to be, I want to say, Denny, correct me if I'm wrong, if you can remember, uh, 45 degrees, 40, 45 degrees for that seed to germinate. Mm -hmm. So put that down, keep it moist as we move into the spring, and you're just going to have to patch those areas.
1: Yeah, sounds right to me. And I'm looking forward to that, as a matter of fact, of getting getting on back in my lawn again. right,
2: how that works. Yes.
1: (laughs) Let us do this, Julie. Let's talk about the weather coming up here and then take more phone calls uh, and text messages here on our Smart Garden Show on Newstalk 830 WCCO. 92, the humidity. Still overcast, but we hope to see sunshine. And the current CCO temperature reading 27 degrees. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here, along with Julie Wiesenhorn from the University of Minnesota, answering your lawn and garden questions. And as usual, Julie, we have so many, we could go for awesome. days. Yeah. For days. Tis All the right. season. Yeah, it really is. And uh, <laughs> glad to hear it. Again, uh, for those uh, calling or texting, here's the number, 651 Japanese beetle question before we get back to the phone uh, is, is I wonder if this texture means that is the appearance of Japanese beetles uh, on my plants. What, how can I get rid of them? Okay. They, yeah.
2: Yeah. So Japanese beetles are probably one of the number one insect pests that we run into because they're so visible. They're huge and they're actually kind of cool looking bucks. Um, when you see them on your plants, they are adults. And they, are, uh, they could have come from miles around. Uh, adult Japanese beetles are very strong flyers. Because you have them in your garden, uh, you want to, as soon as, as soon as you start to see them, and they start showing up in Minnesota gardens around the end of June or so, beginning of July. So you want to be out scouting in your garden. You want to be out looking for them. As soon as you start to see them, mix yourself up a bucket of soapy water and uh And start knocking those bugs into that soapy water, the more you pick them off, the better the less population you will have, because as those insects feed, it attracts more insects, so as those Japanese beetles feed, the more Japanese beetles you 're going to get, so you want to get them off your plants as soon as you can and be diligent about it it 's something that we 're just going to have to accept as gardeners. I know people want to spray things and they want to you know, stop planting certain plants, which are valuable to other uh, birds and other good insects. But we want to just, you just got to get on top of those insects. And so, um, so knock them out there. I like to go out early in the morning uh, when it warms up. And then also later at the end of the day, take a beer with you or something and start knocking those off there. And, uh, and, and do that. Be, be pretty diligent about that Uh, because you have, Adult Japanese beetles does not mean you necessarily have grubs in your soil because, again, these are big, strong flyers. So uh, uh, grubs is completely different, uh, and there's good information on our Japanese beetles in yards and gardens webpage about the timing for grub treatment. So be sure to look at that.
1: Let's give that website again, Julie.
2: Extension.umn.edu. You want to go to our lawns and gardens section or our insect section. You can just Google Japanese beetles. It'll pop right up.
1: All right. Let's get back to the phone. We have multi-callers here. Tom is first up here calling in, I believe, from Golden Valley. Uh, Tom, thank you for waiting. What's your question for Julie?
0: Uh, Good morning. Um, I want to get ahead of the curve on crabgrass. I know it's a little bit early to talk about that, but the front yard of our church was taken over by crabgrass last summer Uh, that was after an extensive rehab project uh, and instead of coming in grass it came in crabgrass so i sprayed it uh, late in the summer with crabgrass killer uh what do i do now to make sure that it doesn't come back uh, when i reseed
2: oh crabgrass crabgrass is an annual weed it grows in very hot dry conditions um, it's got a kind of flat uh, format form that you've seen, and it's a little bit purple around the center of that plant. It's a real Dickens to get rid of. the The key to crabgrass control for spring is to put down a preemergent, and uh, and that goes down. Uh, I want to say around April or so. I'm just looking at my. Uh, we have a lawn care calendar that that helps us out here. Uh, Pre-emergent, mid-April to mid-May before the crabgrass comes out of the ground. So what a pre-emergent does is it prevents seeds from germinating. So you you can put that down. Uh, Just make a note that you can't put down a pre-emergent if you're going to overseed your lawn. So you have to make a choice at that point. Is it more important to control the crabgrass in these areas or to seed my lawn? So you can put that down uh, and then you want to do a post-emergent around mid-May to early July. So if you do see some crabgrass coming up, that's when you would start to spot treat just those plants. So you can buy a, as you found, you you purchased this before, uh, a spray to just spray. You just want to spot spray those plants that are coming up. And that's in mid-May to early July. All right.
1: Let's see who else is waiting. Tim, I believe in Mendota Heights, is uh, on the horn to ask you a question. Uh, Tim, thank you. What's your question for Julie? Uh, my question is, whatever became of black dirt? When I was a <laughs> kid, you, Dad would come home with a trailer of black dirt, and you could fill low spots and depressions, and you could seed or sod over it. And now the garden centers want to sell you something called topsoil, and it seems a, yep. really a poor
2: substitute. Oh. No well uh if if you were a soil student, uh Tom, we would say it's not dirt, it's soil. <laughs> that's one thing, just kind of tongue in cheek there um, so it, it's really about the same, and uh, I probably the difference in the soil that your dad brought home is it might have been more organic than topsoil is. Topsoil is a more of a clay sandy type of uh, soil mix, and it's designed originally it's designed to actually top dress, uh, plant top dress, your lawn. So, uh, it adds some, uh, uh, you know, soils adds to the soil structure. It adds to, you can, you can mix seed in it and, and sprinkle that on your lawn to encourage the seed to germinate. Um, so topsoil that it's just a different name, but it's probably a little bit different composition. So you can still buy, organic soil in other words soil that has organic matter in it you can purchase that in bulk from uh, any number of different uh, garden centers or um, some of our other uh, commercial entities so that's that's probably the biggest difference Um, it it may be too that that some of that soil that that your dad used to bring back came from areas that no longer supply it you know it's a finite relatively finite yeah. uh, product, and so it's been replaced with mixes that have been commercially uh, mixed for Minnesota landscapes.
1: Yeah, good question, though.
2: Yeah, Appreciate it. good question.
1: Larry is calling in from Monticello this morning, then we'll grab some text messages. Uh, go ahead, Larry, what's your question for Julie?
2: I, I uh, seeded my
1: lawn dormant, seeded it in November, and yeah. there's some seed on top of the ground, I see. What, what am I going to do to fertilize at this spring this is spring i use scott's fertilizer
2: okay so uh so fertilizing uh you can do that may through late june in the spring so starting you know around the first of may you can put that down and uh and that seed should germinate that's still sitting on the top of the soil good for you for doing dormant seeding that's a really easy thing to do uh, it, it, for those who don't know, dormant seeding is uh, putting down seed after the temperatures uh, have dropped too low for that seed to germinate. In other words, they're below forty degrees, and so that uh, so that seed won't germinate. Um, but yes, you can go ahead and fertilize again, May through late June. You should be able to do that, um, and then you could fertilize again. Plan to do this in early August through mid October because fall is actually a really good time to do a lot of our uh, lawn care. In fact, it's better to do it in the fall than in the spring. But I understand your, your desire to do it this spring.
1: Yeah. All right, let's grab one more call here, and then we've got a bunch of text messages. Bruce is calling in from Coon Rapids, I do believe. Oh, Bruce is gone. Well, then we'll attack these uh, t- text I'll messages. I calls back. All right. Uh, there was a question about turtle head plants. They heard us mention that on the show. The mm-hmm, question yep. is, is that a common plant found at nurseries, or is there another name for it?
2: It's it's actually turtlehead is the common name, uh, and I hope I say this right. Chelone um, K- is the uh, the genus C H E L O N E, and uh, sometimes it goes by. There's a common a couple common uh, cultivars of turtlehead. One is called hot lips. It's a hot pink turtlehead. There's also white turtlehead. You can purchase those uh, a lot of times at garden centers. I think around Minnesota we have a lot of good native plants. It is a native plant and and one that blooms later in the season, which is always beneficial to our late-season bees. But you can also order it from our native plant nurseries, too. So we do have some excellent native plant nurseries. There's a list on the Minnesota DNR webpage that you can, uh, you can go to landscaping with native plants, and there's a list of vendors there. But ask for it at your local nursery. Chances are they probably have it. Um, and it's a great plant, and I encourage people to plant it.
1: Say, I haven't asked you yet, uh, as we head to the break, when is the next Abiders uh, group playing?
2: So glad you asked. Why is that? Next (laughs) next Saturday, March 26th, we will be at Surfside in Mound, my hometown, and uh, we start about 8.30, and I would love to see some of our listeners out there. We usually have a few who come up and introduce (laughs) themselves, which is pretty cool.
1: So in between sets, do you answer lawn and garden questions?
2: (laughs) I actually have in the past.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, when again is this?
2: Uh, Next Saturday, March 26th. We start at 830 at Surfside in Mound.
1: Week from today. All right. I'm glad we got that in. All right. Hang on, Julie. We'll take a quick break here and be right back on the other side with more Smart Garden in the Twin Cities. 27 degrees. We hope to hit 53, Julie. We'll take a quick break here and be right back on the other side with more Smart Garden. In the Twin Cities, 27 degrees. We hope to hit 53 and maybe 60 tomorrow. Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on News Talk A3OWCC. We're Danny Long here along with Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. Julie, I wanted to make mention because I know you're a dog lover. You've got a oh, beautiful dog at home. Zola. We're, uh, Zola can listen too because we're uh, we're going to be filling in for Susie Jones tomorrow morning. And in our health hour, we have invited uh, a veterinarian whom we've had on for years here on Saturdays. But a lot of folks may have missed that. So uh, she is a medical director. Uh, Dr. Jean Gasky. She's going to be on in the 7 o'clock hour answering your pet questions tomorrow.
2: Oh, good one. So uh,
1: cat, I'll dog, and cat, in. et cetera. So that'll be tomorrow, 7 o'clock, just a heads up there. But in the meantime, we're talking lawns and gardens. Here's one. The rabbits stripped the bark off the lower stems of my well-established hydrangeas. First mm-hmm. time ever. Do you think they will live? Also, they ate my spirea down to the ground.
2: Wow. Okay those, those rabbits uh, do that, yeah, boy, yeah, they're yeah, I guess so, um, so rabbits are uh, yeah, rabbits will strip off bark, um, they 're looking for food to eat in that respect, and particularly in the winter and the and the best thing to do, and it 's too late to do this now, of course, is to fence your plants from rabbits, now, this might have come as a complete surprise, it sounds like it did to the to the person texting. We have a good um, description of how to create a good fence um, around your shrubs and trees on our wildlife page. So take a look. It's under, actually, it's under our trees and shrubs page under protecting for winter. So take a look at that. But, uh, yeah, well will they live? That remains to be seen. So if the, if the animal has stripped off the bark around the whole base of the plant, let's say around the main stem, it will probably not live. If it has if it has gnawed off the bark on one side of the main trunk, it you might see some dieback on that side, but the plant may make it at that point. You just have to kind of keep an eye on it. The best thing at this point is if you uh, if it's really pretty decimated, then I would take the plant out and replace it. If it is, if you think it has a chance, and you're going to have to be the judge of that. Then I would uh, treat that plant with kind of TLC for the for the growing season here to see if it will recover. Sometimes these plants will will grow over and callus over those areas, and will go on to live you know a few more years or a, a you know a, a, a decent life. Um, as far as the spirea goes, spirea can actually handle pruning, so I wouldn't worry too much about that one. But uh, when the main plant, when the main trunk of a shrub or tree is is girdled by these uh insect by these animals then uh then it's kind of questionable the vascular system is right below that bark and if you interrupt that the plant can't take up anything from the roots so so good luck with that um just keep an eye on it if you think it's going to make it or replace it very good
1: texter wants to know is it too early to uncover roses
2: yeah, it's too early to uncover things at this point. Um, the forecast, we still could get some snow. Um, I would just hold off. And, and every year we get these questions and text messages from listeners, anxious to get in their gardens, just Yeah, it's like still me. March. <laughs> yeah, it's still March, and uh, it's still cold. It's only March 19th. It's my friend Eric Northern School's birthday. He was down in Mexico where it's nice and warm. And, uh, and so uh, happy birthday, Eric. But, yeah, just hold off on... Um, on taking off, uncovering plants at this point. And uh, just wait till April. You know, yeah. let's see how things go.
1: Here is a uh, lawn question. Is micro clover good in Minnesota and good for bees?
2: Micro clover. I don't, uh, I, I kind of know what micro clover is. I don't think it's necessarily hardy here. Um, hmm, I'm not sure. I don't think it, blooms very much, like significantly for bees. So I wouldn't say it's really a bee plant. Uh, it might be an interesting little ground cover if you're creating a small space garden. I have a little corner of my patio that's got some soil and I grow a miniature garden there. Um, so it might be kind of cool for that. But I don't, I don't think it's a very good bee plant.
1: Okay. This listener wants to know, Julie, when is a good time to prune blueberry bushes?
2: Uh, again, we want to just kind of hold off pruning uh, some of these until they start, especially shrubs, until the buds start to swell a little bit more. Um, you've got plenty of time for sh- for pruning those. I would say wait until you know early April or so. Right now, you can be pruning trees. You've got a couple more weeks left to prune your oaks. We want to stop pruning oaks April first. Uh, April through July. Is the high risk season for oak wilt. So get your oaks pruned now, get your crab apples, your apple trees, your fruit trees pruned. Uh, and wait you know wait until April, wait till things warm up a little bit more and you start to see some of these buds on your shrubs start to swell. then you can start to do some pruning.
1: Julie, we've had a couple of these questions about grass seed. Since the snow has melted, is it okay to put down grass seed at this time? Uh, This will be on the spots where the drought had damaged the grass last year.
2: Yeah, I don't, you know, you can put it down, but at this point the birds will probably eat it because it's not going to have good soil to seed contact. Wait until the soil warms up and you can actually work the top, you know, inch or so. You can rake it up a little bit so that your seed has contact with that soil. Uh, Right now, if you throw it down, it's probably going to be fairly frozen soil and you're going to end up wasting seed at this point, I think.
1: Less than two minutes to go, Julie. When, listener said, should I take the straw mulch off garlic that was planted in the fall?
2: Uh, Again, I think I would probably wait to start to see those garlic shoots come up and then take that straw mulch off. And, And in fact, that, uh, you know, leave some of that mulch around the plants. It actually will be a good weed deterrent and it will actually, and it will also help to hold moisture in that soil and, uh, and, uh, also, uh, help to moderate soil temperatures. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I kind of hold off on some of pulling things off of plants at this point.
1: In about thirty seconds, Julie, let's uh, advise folks: get to the arboretum and get online, and you can find out all about it. Uh, but get on the the university website. Give us that one more time before you go.
2: Yeah. So that address is extension.umn.edu. Subscribe to our Yard and Garden News; you'll get current information every couple of weeks sent to your email box. And uh, yeah, the arboretum—fabulous place to go. Uh, there'll be the bulbs will be showing up in the next month or so. Lots of uh, things coming up. In fact, I think today is the maple syruping day. Mm. I'm I'm venturing a guess. I kind of remember that's the date. But lots of things happening. So definitely go on the website, arb.umn.edu.
1: And real fast, when do we see the uh, abiders?
2: Next Saturday, March 26th at Surfside Mound, starting at 830. (laughs)
1: Bring your garden questions. All right. Thanks, Julie. Bring your gardening
2: questions.
1: (laughs) We will talk to you very soon, I hope. Thanks, Thanks so much. Julie Weisenhart from the University of Minnesota. Next up here on CCO, after the news break, we will be answering your home and proven questions, whatever they may be. Uh, And again, call or text Andy Lindis. We'll be helping you out uh, next hour. In the Twin Cities, it's overcast. Hope to see sunshine. 27 right now on News Talk 830. This is WCCO.